Attention market research and insights pros. Don't miss IIEX Europe 2024, June 25th and 26th in Amsterdam. Grab your tickets fast. It's looking like a sellout event. Hear from industry leaders at Diageo, Mondelez, Nestle, and more. Network, discover critical trends, and discover advanced tools and tactics to meet your business goals. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off. Register now. So hello, everybody. Welcome to another recording of the Green Book Podcast. This is Karen Lynch, and I'm happy to be hosting today as I connect a couple of dots between two worlds of mine that are colliding in the world of creative problem solving. I'm so excited to introduce two thought leaders in the world of creative thinking and applied imagination and let you know how miraculous it was to me when I was introduced to Hannah Christensen a few weeks ago by a colleague of mine who was explaining that Hannah is an amazing female entrepreneur and a champion of creative thinking. She's been working with global corporations for 25 years, helping them to, and I'll specifically quote, unlock the creative potential in individuals. And at the same time, when I learned about Hannah, I invited in my colleague, Beth Miller, who I've known for almost 10 years now, who's the executive director of the Creative Education Foundation, an organization that is also on a mission to unlock the creative genius in everyone. So these two women were meant to connect and come to find out we have more in common than we even know. But without further ado, I'd love to turn it over to them to give themselves an introduction to our audience. Hannah, I will start with you. Welcome to the Green Book Podcast. Why don't you tell the world a little bit more about yourself? Well, thank you so much, Karen. I'm delighted to be here. Um, You find me in Barcelona, but obviously that doesn't matter because this is just listening. So you can't actually physically see where I am, but you will find me in Barcelona. I have come to Barcelona of the way of both London, New York, and also Dublin. But originally, I am from Denmark. So if I speak with a little bit of an accent, it is a Danish accent that you will be able to detect. Um, Over the years, I've been coming up through the corporate ranks. And I've been very fortunate, like you say, to work for lots of global companies. I worked for Diageo in spirits category. I worked for Kellogg's in breakfast. And all in future focus roles in marketing and innovation. And particularly, I've been really fascinated by the amalgamation or the sweet spot between the what and the how. So what we do, but also how we do it. And fascinated by the fact that actually, even though they're equally important, the how is often overlooked. So when I set up on my own about 15 years ago, I uh, had the delight of being able to pursue my passion, particularly in terms of mindset. And because I have always been in future focus roles, I was really keen to pursue the idea of, well, what is it that drives the future, both in terms of innovation, but particularly in terms of mindset. And then it comes down to creativity, obviously. Super great to have you here. And, you know, for us at the Green Book or at Green Book, we are very much focused on the future of insights and always looking to bring together the worlds of insights and innovation. So pleasure to have you in our community now. And also a pleasure for me to welcome Beth Miller to this recording. So let me explain again, sidebar, I've been passionately involved with the Creative Problem Solving Institute and the Creative Education Foundation for years now. Too many to really even count, but spoiler alert, my first time in this world was in the 90s. I met Beth about 10 years ago now, which is also surreal to me when she took the helm of the Creative Education Foundation. Beth, 
please welcome to the show and tell our audience a little bit more about yourself. Great. Thank you so much, Karen. It's wonderful to be here. Great to see Hannah again as well. Yeah, so I came to the Creative Education Foundation back in 2014. I'm a 20-plus year nonprofit management and leadership professional. And my background spans a lot of different kinds of nonprofits, um, but also education. So I, I taught at Trinity College, at Quinnipiac University. And I find my connection with creativity, besides the really boring, not sexy back of house stuff to get a nonprofit functioning well, is really the obstacles that I've had to overcome throughout my life is really where I find that amazing connection to creativity and why the work of the Creative Education Foundation really resonated with me. And that notion, that truth, that we are all naturally creative and that if you've made it this far in your life, you have done creative stuff to get there. If you've made it to the end of the day, you have been creative to get through your life. As I, I took on this work of leading the organization and learning from all the amazing people that it draws I really realized how our creativity often happens in a box. You always hear thinking outside the box, but so often our creativity must happen within various boxes in our lives. And so I've, I've become increasingly interested in how hardship and disruption and difficulty and obstacles actually can foster creativity. So just a very, very happy to be here and leverage all my years of nonprofit management experience and have that really come to bear as I have blossomed as a leader, being surrounded by these amazing people and these amazing concepts on creative creativity and creative leadership. I'm so glad you're here, Beth, really. This conversation is so important. I remember you and I talking in the past about the importance of creative thinking in the corporate world where people are pressed to innovate all of the time, right? We have to come up with what's new. We have to think about what's coming. We have to you know, renovate our current products, we have to develop some new products. And yet there's this disconnect in corporate America between what we need to do to execute upon all of those innovative directives and actually having the tools and methods that you need. Both of you can talk to this. So let's start with Hannah, because you did make this transition from being in the corporate world to being an entrepreneur. Yeah. What has been your experience in that space that I just described? Well, I think it's really interesting what Beth was saying about creativity in the box, because that's so, so true. And what I often see is that we actually define creativity in a very narrow context. So we think of creativity as only being around brainstorming or the ability to write concepts or needed to innovate. And when we think about innovation, we also think about big and breakthrough. Whereas actually, if you think about it, Creativity is a human fuel that powers innovation, but also innovation with a small eye, not just with a big eye. And what's really key here is that we need to redefine what creativity is in a business context. Because unless we do that and get out of this very narrow definition and actually move creativity out of its box, we will never be able to access the power of creativity and therefore unleash its magic in business. So whenever people define creativity, it's never wrong. It's always right what they think creativity is, but it's also always too narrow. And that's why we need to define it in a much, much broader context. It's not just about brainstorming, like I said before, but it's also about the ability to understand fully the context in which you're operating and bringing these pieces of the jigsaw together so you can paint the picture of the playing field that you're playing within and really understand the implications of that. But it's also about deciding which path to take by imagining the implications of the options available to you and using that 
imagination that you have intuitively in yourself to actually see well, where, where will this particular path head take me and where will another path take me and then make the decisions based on where you will actually end up. And I think we misunderstand what creativity is in business, also partly because it's owned by the arts and the creative industries. So they tend to have a monopoly, wrongly so, on the word creativity. For business to access this human magic, we actually need to understand what is it in the context of business and not so much to the world of arts or the, even the creative industries. I'm sure, Beth Miller, as you're nodding, folks, because we have cameras on so we see each other, I'm sure you could share quite a bit on what creativity means, the definition of, especially in the business context. What could you add to what Hannah's been sharing? Yeah, just to amplify part of what Hannah is saying is, you know, talking about it not just being brainstorming or ideation, but also applying criteria and making decisions and at some point applying judgment and converging on ideas. It's a complete process. And I think that's one of the obstacles we really need to overcome when telling people about studying deliberate creativity, that it is not just brainstorming. It is not just the artistic arts. It is a way of thinking. It is a way of breaking down the process of thinking into different activities, divergent thinking, ideation, brainstorming, and also convergent thinking, critical thinking, bringing things together. It's both of those things and moving through those processes to get to a great idea, which is why it's something, it's a very accessible skill, learning creative problem solving or deliberate creativity. You can grab a tool right away and use it, but to have a really complete process, there's a lot of steps to it and it really helps being facilitated through it and, and really understanding all of the pieces of it. So I think when it comes to applying creative problem solving or creativity skills, in a workplace when there is such high pressure for get it done, implementation, we got to make something, you have to make the space for the creativity. You have to make the space for the process. And you know the cliche, you have to go slow to go fast. It can feel slow to move between divergent and convergent and exploring lots of questions. But once you go through the process, once you get through clarifying and ideating, implementation can be, in development implementation, can it kind of goes faster and faster because once you've sorted everything and moved through all the different ways of thinking and taken in all the voices and applied criteria, you can get to action very quickly. Again, but this is a process to learn, easily learnable by people in all different industries, but it behooves leaders if creativity is important and creativity is the first step before innovation. So if innovation is important, creativity is important, you must make space for it. And you must invite a lot of voices and you have to use a process that helps people feel like they're both being heard and that they're not just spinning their wheels. Things are going to actually come from the ideas that they've created. You're absolutely right, Beth. But I think also what we need to do is we need to start somewhere else because we actually need to start by helping people who have moved into the big companies and the big corporates understand why they need creativity, but not just understand it in their heads because they completely buy it, right? So creativity is a human fuel that powers innovation. Fine. It's the first step before innovation. Fine. Okay. We need innovation because we need to grow. Fine. I get that. Yet I feel that creativity is like mixing oil and water with my professionalism, right? Because if I need to be creative, how can I be both professional and a corporate professional and a creative human being at the same time? And I think those two concepts at the moment, unfortunately, mixes like oil and water inside most of the people that we tend to work with. Because I didn't get recruited into, and I'm talking about myself here, I didn't seek my job into the corporate world. 
when I finished university because I felt particularly creative. I joined the corporate ranks because I was fascinated by traveling the world. I was fascinated by meeting different cultures. I wanted to, you know, work for the companies where I've seen their products on the shelf things that I could understand, the people I saw at the universities who recruited me, you know? So that's the reason why I actually joined the corporate ranks, not because I felt particularly creative. And then as you join the corporate ranks and you get promoted through the system, you are not promoted because you are creative. You are promoted because you can deliver results. And that is often by thinking fast and actually getting things done and creating space for creativity and innovation unfortunately, isn't one of the drivers for it. So the further we move up the ladder, the further we also move away from our innate creativity. So then we say, okay, fine, we need to grow, we need to transform, we need to innovate, we need to change, because if we don't change, we stand still and then we go backwards. As a leader, I understand that. So how do we do that? Well, we need to be more creative. Fine, I understand that in my head. Fine, it's so hard to feel it in my heart. And unless we also feel it in our hearts, it's not going to happen. And that, I think, is the biggest challenge. One of the things that's coming to mind as you're speaking is a talk I gave once last year on differentiating critical thinking skills and creative thinking skills and how really today's professionals, it's imperative that they have critical thinking skills. They have to be able to make decisions and think strategically. And yet there's this disconnect thinking that those exist on an opposite spectrum as creative thinking skills, which are the ability to, to defer judgment and the ability to use criteria to converge on the right idea or the right strategy and being able to balance divergent convergent thinking at every step along the way to what Beth was saying. So I think one of the myths is that you're either or, you either have creative thinking skills or you have critical thinking skills, but they both can coexist actually quite beautifully in a world that moves forward and innovates quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I had just to riff off something that Anna was saying when I'm hearing when you first chose your career path that you wanted to travel and the things that you wanted to see. And I think that piece is the the curiosity. And I think that's what we lose as we get more and more pressure to perform more and more responsibility, that being curious and wondering becomes a luxury, right? This is why kids are better at creativity than adults are. And reconnecting with that sense of wonder and curiosity. And I think it just opens everything up. It opens up possibility. It invites joy. And I think it's very hard to see those things necessarily as something that you would necessarily get in corporate America. I don't know what I don't know because I've always been a teacher and worked in nonprofit, you know, which is fun. But I think that I've been really enamored about curiosity and what that invites, just asking questions, being curious. And the thing about curiosity is it there's no weight on it. It's very light. Curiosity is just, oh, I wonder about that. Like you, you're not getting triggered. Like there's no baggage around curiosity. It's very youth-like. And I think inviting that sense of curiosity, and I think that's part of what creativity training does merely by posing questions. When And whenever you pose a question that is not laden, a what if question or how might we question, it invites that curiosity. So maybe that is what needs to be invited back into the corporate space, curiosity. Absolutely. And I think it's a nice reframe as well, Beth, because curiosity feels much more accessible. You, you call it light, but I would also call it accessible. Um, because when we work with people, we also find that, that one of the issues, so 
I talked about, you know, the creativity and business mixes like oil and water, which of course it doesn't, you know, that you, you can actually amalgamate the two and then they work beautifully together. But I understand why that is a myth. But equally, I think that we have so many limiting beliefs around our creativity, even the most creatively confident around us. So one of the big challenges is how can we make it more accessible? And starting with curiosity is a fantastic way of making it more accessible. I think also one of the things that we can do is to reflect on where do these limiting beliefs come from? What, what are my limiting beliefs? So one of my limiting beliefs is I can absolutely not draw. And the fact that my brother could draw, he's two years older than me, as kids, right, he was fantastic at drawing, meant that he was the creative one in our family. And it took me until I was 27 years old and got promoted into my first innovation role to realize that I was actually also creative. But it was just not the ability to draw that sat comfortably with me. My creativity showed up in a very different way. But because I put this limiting belief label on myself so early on, and it had, it had been further manifested through childhood and my schooling and everything, it just took so long to go away until I was actually paid for my creativity and somebody else saw it in me so much that they wanted me to move into an innovation role. So I think one of the things we can definitely do is to kind of lower the bar. We look to creative geniuses as well. So when we look to you know, who can we learn from, we look to Elon Musk, you know, so tomorrow I'm actually doing a speaking gig in South Africa tomorrow. And I am pulling Elon Musk out as the one to look to because obviously he's from South Africa and he's probably one of the most creative people in the world. He's certainly one of the richest, right? And I'm actually, I'm pulling him out. And then within two minutes of the talk, I'm saying, but we shouldn't look to him because we are not him. We can never be him. So yes, for inspiration, absolutely look to the big creative geniuses. But for activation, we should look within ourselves and really go searching for the evidence that we have that we are already creative. We are already creative, not necessarily with a big C and not necessarily Elon Musk kind of way, but every day we can actually find evidence of our creativity and our ability to rethink. There's so much I wanna go back to right now. And what's interesting when you think about him as an entity, he does do what Beth was talking about earlier, which is, you know, approach the world with the what ifs, what are the possibilities, how might we do this? And that is part of his DNA, right? So anybody who is looking for an immediate quick fix, simply ask yourself the question instead of saying we can't do something or it didn't work before, say how might we? Or what if this were possible? How might that be manifested out there? Something you said earlier also, Beth, before you started to talk about the importance of curiosity, another cultural shift, um, I believe, and I know you share that value, both of you actually, is diversity of thought. And Beth, you were talking a little bit about another thing that can be done besides just bring the spirit of curiosity in. There's something else that can be done. Can you expand upon that and the importance of voices? Yeah. Part of what's really rich about our Creative Problem Solving Institute is that there's so many different kinds of people there from so many different industries from around the world makes it very challenging to market, if I'm honest with you, because I don't have one group, but that's part of the magic, right? It's all different people. We had an eight-year-old teach a workshop once. And when we really started thinking about what creative problem solving values, what deliberate creativity values is experience. And to be 
really creative, to really innovate, you need to get as much input and information as possible. And when working with others, getting their varied perspectives can provide a wealth of new ways of thinking, particularly when you're in a really generative environment, like a creative problem solving class, you're very open to hearing from different people. So I'm a big fan of really challenging where we think wisdom lies and where brilliance comes from. So is it the eight-year-old who just knocked your socks off over lunch with something she said, and why not teach a class? I brought Karen's son with me to pitch creative problem solving to a public school system because I wasn't a kid who grew up with creative problem solving, and Nick was, so he could speak to that way better than I could. So we don't always have to be out in front as the leaders and the professionals. And I think that's one of the biggest things that leaders need to learn is that maybe don't speak, (laughs) maybe invite other people in to speak and welcome other voices to the table. As we get increasingly aware of the need for inclusion, this is critically important to welcome other voices to the table, especially the people that your work is going to impact. If they're not part of the conversation, you are not being inclusive. You know, if you run a nonprofit that deals with homelessness, if you don't have a homeless person who suffered homelessness or experienced homelessness on your board of directors, you're not going to make good decisions for that population. You need to honor everybody that is going to be impacted by the work you do. And really think about even bringing someone in who has nothing to do with what you do, because they're going to have a completely fresh point of view. Absolutely. I think what's interesting about this is that often we fear what we don't know because we don't know it. And if we could replace that fear with fascination, then you actually get into a much better place. So I have a trick with myself is whenever I feel frustrated or fearful, I ask myself, how is this fascinating? Why is this fascinating? What can you learn from this? Because then that's when you start actually having this curiosity you talked about earlier, but also an empathy because we do like to see people who are like us just because it creates much more of a mirroring and much more of a harmony. And we don't have to work so hard at it. It's much, much harder to find differences. Um, one of the things I really like as well in my, in my, you talked about an eight-year-old. Well, I have an eight-year-old daughter, right? So, and she goes to a local Catalan school here in Barcelona. And their motto is some equals, some difference. That means we are equal, we are different. And we started talking about this motto that they have. And I said, what's the difference? Like, if you said we are different and we're equal versus we are equal, but we're different, what's the difference, right? It's, we became all very philosophical. My, my middle name is Kierkegaard, like the philosopher. So I have no, no relation to him, but sometimes we go into this very, very, very philosophical mode, right? And we started talking about the difference. So we are different because each of us brings something unique to the table, right? So what is diversity really? Is diversity not just about difference? You know, isn't it just the buzzword at the moment for difference, that we are different? So just think of us as different. We are just all different. If we can then start seeing the difference in each other, that's key. But also the next key is to value it. So how do you value the difference rather than being frustrated or fearful of it? And I think that's where equality comes into me. It's like, I'm Danish, you know, we're like really big on equality. (laughs) But actually equality to me is about not saying who's better or who's worse, but actually instead asking, how are we different? And what does that difference then bring? 
in not in terms of bringing something that's better or worse, but just bringing something that's different has its value. And I think that's really powerful. So if you want diversity and inclusion, I think really we have to understand how we are different, even in the smallest of senses, and then value that difference. So we don't look for better or worse, which is a very human behavior that we look for better or worse, because we'd have done that through our lives, right? Who's the tallest? Who's the shortest? You know, what grades did you get at school? Who's born first? Who's born last? Who runs fastest? Who wins the game? So we are always looking for better or worse. We cannot help it. But what if we just looked for different? Because if we look for different, then we will also start appreciating this idea of equality, I think. Let me bring this conversation back to the business realm of consumer insights, which is the field that our audience operates in. And what I'm hearing you talking about, I guess both of your points of view are in line with my own personal values as well. But if we think about what would this mean for an insights professional with how they approach the research that they do, how they approach the corporate conversations that they're privy to. How would we summarize kind of the big takeaway for what this means for an individual who might be saying like, this is all great. How do I make this applicable to my day job? Yeah, I think that something that Hannah said that when you're working with people that are all the same, you're carrying the same things. You can have in-group bias, similarity bias. It makes things smooth, right? Difference gives some traction. Difference creates rough edges that you can kind of cling to and springboard from. So I think and for our insights, I mean, obviously, you you want to know the obvious thing. I think might be, and I'm I'm probably getting over my skis here. Um, is is you know, you're like, okay, I want to sell this particular product, and the client base for this particular product is this particular group. It's you know, mi- you know, middle aged women like us, and and so that's who I'm going to ask about this product or whatever. But who else might you speak to, and what else might you learn? If you don't just go with the obvious group to gather insights from or feedback from, who else is not represented? And I think there could be really some really fascinating things that could be applied in here in terms of equity and inclusion. Who are we not thinking about? Even it could even spur a new product development if you think about the wider kind of population that you get the insights from instead of the obvious kind of group. And I think that you know you can end up kind of just looking inward and inward and inward and like at one group all the time if you don't think about what else is out there. One of the the fascinating things I learned about marketing or or getting evaluation and feedback, we're big fans of debriefing and evaluation on all the work that we do is paying attention to like the outlier comment. You know, the the thing that nobody else said that maybe doesn't jive. Like I've become a big fan of like the outlier comment. Like what what nugget is in that that someone spoke up about instead of just like, oh, yeah, everyone gives us a five. I'm like, OK, somebody gave us a one. What did they have to say about that? What was that one experience? What can we learn from it? And not being afraid of that, of the outlier comment. So there's opportunities to invite that, I think, with insights work. Absolutely. And I think so. it's a bit like Emperor's New Clothes. I have the picture of Emperor's New yes. Clothes in my head here, right? There's so the little boy who gives the voice to the thing that's not visible to everybody else. And I think that actually brings me on to building on what you were saying there, Beth, is that the inside professional in businesses, a huge part of their role, as I see it, is to give voice to the things that are not overtly given voice to. You know, so you will never get anybody to say out loud an insight. It comes from digging in 
and making connections. And I think that's absolutely key. And it's also key about the organizational bias. So we talk a lot. I mean, when I was working at Kellogg's, for example, for years and years, they didn't look at data beyond 11 o'clock a.m. Because, you know, we were a breakfast company. <laughs> it's just like, well, hang on a minute. People actually eat cereal at all sorts of, you know, points in the day, which sounds so obvious now, but it really wasn't obvious back then, right? So giving voice to the things that doesn't have a voice, but also to really shine a light on the organizational and corporate biases that exist. And they exist at an organizational level, but also the bias at the team and the individual level to sort of call it out and say, hang on a minute, is this really right? When I was working at Diageo, they had probably and still have an incredible way to approach consumer centricity insights and even foresights as well. And, you know, I was working in the global brand innovation group leading different projects across Smirnoff and Guinness and Gordon's Gin and, and what have you. And every time we did something that was of any significance, we had to have our insights person by our sides. It was literally a doubling up of a team. So I might well have been the project leader, but actually, you know, next to me was my buddy who was the insights person. And you didn't make any decisions and you didn't do anything unless, you know, you sat there as your two buddies you know, the project leader, me, and then my insights person, who was the voice of things that we would otherwise have gotten forgotten. And those conversations are absolutely critical. This is such a fantastic conversation. And I'm so glad you both went where you just went, because that's the bottom line for our audience, right, of all of these professionals who are actually overcoming biases almost daily in their research work, trying to think about what research biases are going to play out. But now we're talking about a lot of other biases that are in place just within an organization. And it circles back to those, you know, limiting beliefs that we talked about earlier, right? There are some biases in place that will keep companies from becoming more innovative. And there are some biases in place, which will prevent them from leveraging some of the resources that are out there. So thank you for this conversation. When we think about all of this, there's something about this mindset that I love and appreciate, which I always label it a growth mindset, people who are just naturally curious or want to learn. What are some of the resources, very tangible things that you two both incorporate into your life to keep you on the edge of learning and innovating yourselves? Beth, why don't you go ahead and start? Yeah, <laughs> for me, it's whenever I get stubborn, <laughs> whenever I feel like, I am totally right. <laughs> and or I'm getting crabby with somebody or feeling whenever I have that feeling like I'm 100% right and there's no room for additional information, I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's always a signal for me that I need to get a little bit more information. So whenever I have that kind of stubborn, defensive feeling, I call it popping my blue collar. Whenever I feel that, I'm realizing there's probably some way that I'm stuck. And for me, the thing that I love most about creative problem solving is what it does is it really invites self-reflection in a way that doesn't put you into a shame spiral. It invites that like, oh, why did I feel that way? Or why did I react that way? Or that seemed disproportionate or about something else. So when you learn how to be deliberately creative, the first step is kind of internal. So you're kind of like, oh, I had that kind of yucky feeling or a feeling that I've had before when I'm not right about something or I'm being stuck, 
let me explore that a little bit more and ask myself some questions. And that is an internal process. It could be something you talk, I talk about with a friend of mine now when I get stuck, but it's that being brave enough to question the way you've always reacted and the way you've always done it. So for me, that's the first invitation for creativity is when I behave badly. (laughs) Well, it's personal curiosity, right? What you're talking about is not just curiosity with what might be in the world of your business or nonprofit projects, but also, you know, let's take a look and use that curiosity in a reflective way. So I love that. And so, you know, yeah, the first, you know, stage of of learning in that case has to be learning about yourself continually, and how you react to stimuli in front of you. Uh, Hannah, how about you? What are some of the things that you when you know, you're at a point where you need to learn something either? What do you do? What's the signal? Or where do you go? Well, I mean, I'm not always proud about my growth mindset because after 15 years of being in in Barcelona, I still haven't learned Spanish. So certainly the growth mindset is not a wholesale across everything, I have to say. But when it comes to particularly my business and what we do, I have two things that I I hold really dear and also very, very high. And, And the first one is a value set. So with me and my team, I always talk about we have to learn before we earn, right? Meaning as a business, we put learning higher than profit. So we're not a non-for-profit. Yeah, we do need to make money and we want to invest in the business. But actually, before everything else, we need to learn before we earn. And that really helps when you have to make some decisions because it means that it informs the decisions we make so that we learn exponentially. And that we continue to learn as well, that we don't get stuck. It's so easy to feel that you found a formula and then you're kind of, okay, let's run with it. Not to say that we have to reinvent the wheel all the time, but it's just about saying, okay, now let's, this is over here we want to learn, right? And we actually deliberately make a decision to learn. I love that. And I want to turn the conversation to some opportunities to learn. So I know that we have several learning possibilities coming up in our future. So for one, I'm really excited on the green book side of things to say that a representative, maybe one, maybe two from the Creative Education Foundation are going to be joining us at IAX North America this year, helping us facilitate some think tanks some very large high level conversations. So if you haven't checked out IAX North America, we'll make sure we list those in our resources in our show notes, because we're going to do some amazing creative thinking to get to an innovative mind space at our event this year in these think tanks, which we're premiering this year in a prototype type of format. So I'm excited about that. Beth, why don't you share a little bit about the Creative Problem Solving Institute? Because I know I could talk about it, but I'd be super biased in saying everybody should also go to that event because I try my hardest never to miss it. (laughs) Yeah. So the Creative Problem Solving Institute, we affectionately call SIPSI. SIPSI happens in June, this year, June 25th to 29th at Niagara University, which is in Lewiston, New York, right near Niagara Falls. We tend to bring the conference to a university. We like people to have that immersive educational experience. So you're eating in the dining hall, you're staying in the dorms. They're nice dorms, but, you know, we make sure they're nice. And, you know, you're hanging out with people in class, after class, all of that. So really immersing yourself in that learning environment. The thing I particularly love about SIPSI is we have very much an open arms and not an elbows out approach to creativity. So while we do teach creative problem solving, which is our 
signature creativity process, we also invite other presenters with other creativity disciplines that range from, you know, high woo, as we would call it, like laughter yoga or applied improv to, you know, scholarly applications for creativity research. I mean, it's just a huge realm of different kinds of deliberate creativity processes, mashups, different ways of thinking things. So it's a presenters kind of conference as well. We, we draw lots of presenters who not only share what they're learning, but are so eager and excited to learn from their peers. So it's a very kind of collaborative environment, very open to people from all different backgrounds. We'll see school teachers, engineers, manufacturers, marketing pros. It's just such a mix. And a lot of qualitative researchers as well. No, 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 absolutely. So it's just a bunch of folks that are super curious and creative and want to be more so. It's a leap of faith, I think, to get to that, yes, I'm going to go to a creativity conference. So once they do, it draws a particular kind of person who's really interested in learning more about themselves, about how to work better with other people, and perhaps work in ways that they never thought of before. Excellent. And I know one of our speakers this year at SIPSI, at the Creative Problem Solving Institute, is going to be our very own Hannah. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing at SIPSI this year. It's exciting that you're attending. Yeah, I'm excited too. It's the first time. I'm super excited and thank you very much for encouraging me to come along. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be running a workshop with one of my colleagues, Belinda, and we were, the title of our workshop is Free Your your growth mindset from the shadows of limiting beliefs so free your growth mindset from the shadows of limiting beliefs and i think really it was spurred on by the fact that even the most creatively confident amongst us we kind of shiver when we get asked you know so so how creative are you actually how creative are you really huh and it triggers doubt and sort of injects or starts putting our imposter syndrome right up in center um it's not a very helpful question to ask, how creative are you? And a much better question to ask is actually, how are you creative? Because that starts inviting the curiosity we talked about, but also moves your limiting beliefs into a growth mindset because you start to wonder, well, how am I actually creative? So we'll be running a workshop with Belinda and I, and we can't wait. I can't wait also. And you'll be joining us in North America, from what I understand, that will work out for us as well. So we'll have a nice moment where we can talk about creative thinking in a world and space where we're very focused on insight innovations in you know particular. And uh, we'll can just con keep continuing the conversation as we move along throughout the year. So that's really all the time that we have for this today, ladies. I just want to thank you really from the bottom of my heart, both of you for joining us and for sharing. Any final words, Beth, that you'd like to share? Anything I didn't ask you that you just want to get out there to the world? Yeah, come to Sipsy. <laughs> <laughs> I will not argue with that. How about you, Hannah? Any final words for our audience? Come to Zipsy. <laughs> That's awesome. No, no, I, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Can't wait to see you there. That's great. And I will, of course, plug IIEX North America. I'll be able to talk about any of these things. Having been on the board of the Creative Education Foundation, you all know it's very important for me in one of my volunteer passions. That organization is a perfect alignment with my professional life, and I'm happy to talk about it at any time, ad nauseum, most likely. Again, thank you to both of you. I'm so glad that you were here. I, I want to thank Natalie, who is our producer and who shows up for these episodes with her full self, and I'm 
always so grateful. Thank you, Natalie. Our editor, James Carlisle, thank you so much for all you do. And of course, our listeners, the Green Book Podcast audience. Without you, we wouldn't have a forum to share these ideas with the world. So thank you for being out there and for giving us your time every week. Until next time, take care. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.